Jesus, thank you that you are the bread of life, that you have instructed us not to work for the food that perishes, but to work, work for the food that endures to eternal life, and that food you will give us. We thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless us as we study your word, open our hearts and our minds to it, Lord, that it might nourish us and lead us to yourself. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Good morning and welcome to Christ the King this morning. I uh, see some visitors in the crowd. My name is Robbie Pruitt. I'm one of the pastoral associates here. I bring you warm greetings from our pastor, David Glade. If you are here to hear from him this morning, I apologize. You will not have that need met. But he brings his warm greetings to you all and welcome, and he will be back uh, next Sunday. This Sunday, we are beginning our new summer sermon series in John chapter 6. Today, I will be sharing with you the context of all of John 6, um, specifically the context of our gospel passage, looking back at the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. Next week, our pastoral associate, Peter Schwanda, will continue our series, and then David Glade will conclude our series at the end of this month after Peter Schwanda preaches next week. Today, we're looking at Seeking Jesus, the food that endures to eternal life. Our sermon title is simply that, Jesus, the food that endures to eternal life. The sixth chapter of John has in it the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, and the latter part of the chapter is known as the Bread of Life Discourse, which contains the first of seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John, the first being Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. The context for this chapter is the Passover. We get that from the beginning of chapter 6, where it says clearly that the time of the Passover was at hand, and many in the crowd were pilgrims heading to Jerusalem. Where, where do you get 5,000 people, let alone 5,000 men, not including the women and the children? There could have been upwards of 15,000 or more people in this crowd we don't know for sure, but where do these people come from? Certainly not little Galilee, the region of Galilee. These are travelers, some of these are pilgrims, traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. We see this detail as well in the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus has the people sit down in the grass. Now, in the summertime, after the grass has sprung up in the spring and is lush and green, the summer sun will scorch it and it will turn brown. So this crowd is sitting in grass. There is grass in the field, which tells us it's springtime. It's an indicator of the time of Passover. In John chapter 6, Jesus walks on water after the feeding of the 5,000, hearkening back to the Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea. Jesus feeds the crowds before walking on the water. So the order is a little reversed, but then he claims that he is indeed the bread which has come down from heaven, that he is true bread which comes down 
from heaven. Moses had given manna, bread from heaven, daily, physical bread for the daily sustenance of the people. But Jesus is giving something greater. Jesus is giving bread which leads to eternal life. Think about what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a request for daily provision. It harkens back to the days of the wilderness wanderings where God indeed provided for his people in the wilderness by raining down manna, which, by the way, means, what is it? Isn't that great? What is it? And that's what they call it, manna. What is it? The prophet Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4 also fed a crowd of 100 with 20 barley loaves. A miracle, not as great of a miracle, but a miracle nonetheless. The person in that account actually says, I'm going to put 20 loaves of bar- barley loaves in front of this many people? That's the comment, with 20 barley loaves. So in other words, this isn't even going to fill, feed 100 people. Now, uh, I see, I think the Hearst are here. They uh, own Great Harvest Bakery. They might, I don't know what their favorite bread is, but I know that barley loaves is not the first choice. It's actually food for those who are poor, those who may not have a lot of money. It's a smaller loaf, about the size of a Twinkie, not quite as tasty, which is why you need a few sardines or some fish to flavor it, which is why the boy had a few small fish. He had five barley loaves. John is the only gospel writer to tell us that these loaves are barley. Now, all four gospels include this miracle. This is one of the miracles that all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have the feeding of the 5,000, but the detail of the barley loaf is alone in John chapter 6. This little boy is probably um, not very wealthy. He has his little sack lunches, five little loaves which again wouldn't even feed a hundred. We know this from the context of 2 Kings where Elisha is setting these 20 loaves in front of a hundred people and they're like, wait a minute, this isn't going to work. So we know that this is a small meal, very, very small, probably smaller than you realized before this morning, though I'm sure you are all familiar with this passage as most of us are, and that's the danger in a passage like this that we can become comfortable and miss some details that really show us how astounding this miracle really is. Jesus does a greater miracle in multiplying the loaves, and he's claiming to provide eternal provision of bread. He is a greater Moses in this moment. He is a greater Elisha in this moment. Though both of these prophets provided bread, Jesus is doing something new. Obviously, food is essential for life. Don't need to tell you that. We cannot live without food and water. God provides for our physical needs as God provided for this crowd as illustrated in John 6 in the feeding of the 5,000. Just last night in preparation for this message, not that I was preparing all last night, I just have a tendency to preach in my sleep the day before. And as I'm laying there thinking about this message, our youngest daughter wakes up and and she says, Hungry, Daddy. And of course, I rose up. Didn't want my my wife to have to wake up and go with her. I was already up. 
I'm preaching the sermon <laughs> an initial time, so I grabbed her. We walked downstairs. We got a glass of milk. Of course, I want to provide for my child. Jesus himself said it. Which of you earthly fathers, you earthly fathers, and then he says, you being evil, thank you, Lord, <laughs> know how to give good gifts to his children. Big deal. How much more shall your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Which of you, if you had a son and he asked for bread, would you give him a rock, a stone? If he asked for fish, would you hand him a scorpion? Of course not. Of course we want to provide for our children, give good gifts. But this was not all Jesus was addressing in this chapter. In John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus meets our physical needs. And he desires to meet our spiritual needs as well. He desires to give us eternal life. Jesus told the disciples and the crowd, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, we get nervous in evangelical circles when we start talking about work. Oh, we don't work for salvation. It is true. We do not work for salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is clear. For you have been saved by grace through faith, not by your works, lest anyone should brag. Next verse, we often skip this one. But you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for you in advance for those whom he loves. So, I love what Dallas Willard has said. He has said that the gospel is not opposed to work, but it is opposed to earning. We do not earn our salvation. And listen to what Jesus is saying. Do not work for food that perishes, but work for food that leads to eternal life, comma, which the Father will give you. What's the work? Thank you, sir. Holding out our hands and simply saying, thank you. Receiving him, believing him, re receiving him and taking the gift that he is offering you. That is the work. This verse in John 6, 27 is our focal verse this morning. Jesus said, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him the Father has set His seal. This is a, there, a deep dissatisfaction in us. We all hunger, don't we? We have this appetite within us. A desire for inside of all of us. Augustine said that our heart is restless until it rests in God. We have a desire to be pleased, satiated, a desire to be satisfied and content. And we work towards this end every day of our lives, don't we? We work, we earn, we seek to impress, we seek to fit in, we seek to achieve. We seek to make a difference, to make our mark, to have a good reputation, to leave a legacy. This is the work we do. We hunger. We have an appetite for all sorts of ends and goals and achievements. The crowd in John 6 was searching for satisfaction as well as they followed Jesus. 
The crowd sought Jesus out after he had taught them and fed them with, spiritual, with physical food. The scriptures say he did many other signs among them, and yet they wanted more. Now, before you miss it, they said, what sign will you give us? He had already given them signs. They wanted more. The scriptures say he did many other signs, and yet they wanted this. They wanted more. The crowd had ideas of a militant Messiah, ideas of someone like Moses. They wanted earthly bread. As a matter of fact, the Jews at the time had, it was to believe that when the Messiah did come, the Messiah would rain down manna from heaven. This was one of the signs, the symbols, that this indeed was the Messiah, that the miracle of the manna would be recreated. Now, bread did not rain down from heaven, not earthly bread, but spiritual bread did. As John says in his prologue, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The bread of life came down from heaven. Jesus, He came down in the incarnation to feed His people. He did the signs. But they were not satisfied. They were not content. And what about us? Are we satisfied? Do, do we see what we have? Or do we look for what we do not have? Are we like this crowd? Are we getting what we need and we just do not see it? After feeding the multitudes, this crowd wanted to make Jesus a king. They assumed like many of the Jews did, at least some of them, that Jesus might have been the Messiah. And they expected Jesus to recreate this miracle that Moses had facilitated for God in the Exodus after the Passover. But Jesus had done it, as I had said, and many other signs did he do. Jesus would not be made king by these people. At least not as they assumed a militant Messiah king would be. Jesus told the people, after they said, then what sign will you do that we might see and believe you? What work will you perform, they said? Our fathers ate this man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Listen to Jesus' response. He told the people, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you this bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you true bread. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus was telling the people that He is the true bread which has come down from heaven and gives life. However, it was clear that the people did not understand because they said to him, and listen to this, on the surface this sounds like a really good prayer. They say, sir, give us this bread always. Isn't that a great prayer? To say to Jesus, sir, give us this bread always. Now if you were referring to the bread of life, or if you're referring to Jesus, it is a good prayer. But if you're referring to other things you might have in mind, um, they are actually referring to daily provision. 
They want to sit back, coast, relax, have their daily needs met, not have to do anything. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. We would do well to pray this prayer if the object of the prayer is Christ and not just what he can do for us. The crowd was actually missing the point here. They were looking for something different. They were looking for that daily manna. They had their own ideas of what the Messiah would do and what his signs would be like. Now, in 2007, my wife and I visited Poland on vacation. We did this last year for vacation as well. This year, we're going to West Virginia. My wife informs me that while in West Virginia, she will be um, daydreaming that she's actually in Poland. So we will all be in West Virginia, but I think she will be in her mind in Poland which is fine. Poland is a beautiful place. You can't go there every year, uh, but we did go twice. We went in 2007. We went um, last year. On the 2007 trip, um, we were hiking from these lodges. This was before children, and you know you can do a lot of things without the children around, like hike for six miles between lodges in the Polish wilderness. So we were doing this, and um, we didn't take a lot of food with us because they had kitchens inside of these uh, lodges and they fed you well. It was wonderful. And uh, that night we had a wonderful meal. That morning we got up a little late and needed to eat a good breakfast. And my wife went to order, and I don't speak Polish. I'm working on English. Um, she said something to the lady and came back empty handed. And she said, uh, and I don't know how that conversation went, but in the end she said, There is no breakfast. I said, No breakfast. I looked around, the whole place is full. There are people eating plates of eggs. There's plenty of food. Everybody's got smiles on their faces. And I'm thinking, no breakfast? What, what about? She said, nope, no breakfast. So we set out on our journey without breakfast. I think that we had um, an apple, I think was our provision. We ate that apple. We were picking blueberries along the, the hillside looking over in from these beautiful mountains, and we got to the next lodge, and we were just famished. And I think that night, um, I ate two big platters of a Polish sausage. I, like, I ate two full meals that night. And uh, my wife ordered what she wanted, and, and it was great, the thing that she tried to get that morning, and they had it that night, and we got up that morning, and everybody was eating the same exact breakfast from the other lodge. And so we talked to the lady at the front counter, and she said, yeah, this is what we have for breakfast every day. The lady at the other lodge was simply telling my wife, we don't have what you're asking for. There was breakfast, and we missed it. We completely missed breakfast for no reason we went hungry. We, we did this to ourselves, and the entire time there was breakfast. Now, I believe that this is very similar to what the crowd is doing in this account. They had an offer of true food, but they refused it because it did not look the way they thought it should. This is what we do with Jesus when he invites us to eat the food that endures to eternal life, and we refuse to come to his table. We are going hungry for no good reason. We should be thankful for the feast of life that Jesus has offered his children. He, this is what the Eucharist is, after all. It's the great thanksgiving. It is gratitude 
for what God has given us. Listen to how Eucharistic the feeding of the 5,000 is. By the way, the other gospel readings, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have the words of institution of the Lord's Supper. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord took bread and broke it and gave it. Those, those words of institution, you can also find them in Corinthians. They don't exist in the Gospel of John. But listen, listen to the Eucharistic words here. He took the little boy's lunch, blessed it, broke it, handed it out to his disciples, and they fed the whole crowd. Then he gathered up the leftovers. There were 12 baskets full. One for each disciple. One for every tribe of Israel. Jesus was giving the people a greater meal. He was giving them true bread. His own body and blood. His life for the sake of eternal life for all people. In the feeding of the 5,000, one commentator says, it is significant that twice, twice, John mentions the fact that Jesus gave thanks. As I said, all the other gospel writers have this account. But in this account, Jesus looks up twice to heaven. He gives thanks, and by that act, he reminded the hungry people that God is the source of all good and needful gifts. This is a good lesson for us. Instead of complaining about what we do not have, we should give thanks to God for what we do have. And maybe, like the barley loaves and the little fishes, He will make it go further. To believe is to eat. Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Do you believe Jesus is the true bread that leads to eternal life? Are you at the table this morning? Will you eat? Will you believe? As we say in the Eucharist, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take, eat, remember that Christ died for you and feed on Him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. As we see later in the closing of this chapter, if you read to the end, Jesus lost many in this crowd. They did not understand what Jesus was doing and teaching. And what about us? Has Jesus lost us as He has lost this crowd in John 6? Do we believe as the true disciples did and stay with Jesus and, and say as Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Another commentator notes that Jesus used two key words that often appear in his sermon. Come and believe. That's what we find in the Bread of Life discourse. Come and believe. To come to Jesus means to believe in Him. And to believe in Him means to come to Him. My wife and I were talking about this passage and we recalled that every time we celebrate the Eucharist, it's an altar call. That we are coming to Jesus. 
to feed on Jesus, Ellis Earl says. To feed on Jesus' flesh is nothing more, nothing less than to come to Jesus. To believe and to abide in Him as He abides in us. Will you come to Jesus this morning? Will you come to the table and eat? Reach, receive the true food. As Jesus said, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope in you and in life in you. And we, may we say along with the disciples, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Pray with me this morning. God our Father, whose Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the wonderful sacrament has left us a memorial of His passion. Grant us so to honor the sacred mysteries of His body and blood that we may ever perceive within ourselves the fruit of His redemption who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.